MSW Media. It's Mariah and Steve, co-hosts of Swing Left's How We Win podcast. Two years ago, with your help, Democrats won the trifecta in Virginia. The election to keep Virginia blue is on November 2nd, and actually early voting has already started. We're asking you to go to swingleft.org and help us win again. If we get voters fired up and turned out, we'll keep Virginia blue. We can't let the GOP win. A Republican victory would move Virginia backwards, and it would dramatically weaken Democrats' chances in the midterms. Go to swingleft.org slash Virginia, and you can help us win. No matter where you live, you can make an impact. You can join a virtual phone bank, write letters to voters, and donate to the races that need the money the most. Let's show the GOP that we will not stop fighting for our democracy. Go to swingleft.org slash Virginia and sign up to volunteer. That is how we win. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, October 11th, 2021. Today, Biden blocks Trump from invoking executive privilege over documents related to the insurrection. 20 state attorneys general sue to block Postmaster General DeJoy's plan to slow down the mail. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals effectively reinstates the Texas abortion ban. Dan Scavino finally gets served. A Capitol Police whistleblower rebukes leadership during the insurrection. And Arizona Republicans tell Congress that Biden won Arizona. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, but you know, I mean, the whole audits aren't about proving whether Trump won or not, right? It's just about investigating it to make it look like there could be problems. Absolutely. It's actually just making people doubt the election. That's the point of it. Doubt the election, doubt the validity of it, doubt their vote, doubt mail-in voting, all of it. So it is an evil plan that obviously is not going to turn out anything other than apparently more votes for Biden, it seems. Yeah. And it happened back with Zelensky when he said, You don't have to do an investigation into Biden. Just say you are. Exactly. And then again, when he called Department of Justice guy uh, Rosen, uh, acting attorney general Rosen and Donahue was taking notes and he said, look, 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 you don't have to actually find fraud. Just say that there's fraud. (laughs) And uh, me and my Republican buddy. You don't have to say you enjoyed it. You don't have to have enjoyed it. Just tell me you enjoyed it. You don't have to like having sex with me. Just tell just tell me you, you liked having <laughs> you and your mushroom penis. How did we even get here? Here's one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Just announce that you liked it. Exactly. Looking <laughs> buddies and I'll take it from there. Today, I had a major, massive, awesome, like 45 minute discussion with lawyer and uh, professor at UC Berkeley and author Terry Canefield. And her and I go in depth discussing executive privilege, specifically as it relates to this document and testimony requests that the former guy is trying to block from the the January 6th committee from getting. So uh, that's going to be a good conversation. And then also, you know, the National Archives documents that that Trump wants blocked. She and I talk about that and if there's a waiting period and 
what grounds he has to sue on. And actually, Dana White's a really bad idea for him to file a lawsuit, which is, I think, why he hasn't done it yet. Because if I'm correct, those documents were requested from the National Archives on September 9th. And he had 30 days, which lapsed. And I don't think he filed a lawsuit. And there's a good reason why he wouldn't. And Terry and I will go over that as well. Fantastic. The interview sounds great. And then also we've started again for the holidays, our patrons helping patrons thing, where for 36 bucks, you can buy a year subscription. So, you know, premium subscription to Muller, She Wrote, the MSW Book Club and the Daily Beans for someone who might not be able to afford it. And you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and then scroll down to the bottom of the main page. You'll see something, I think, that says patrons helping patrons. And we will set you up with uh, an account. And if you want to sign up to get a donated subscription, premium subscription, you can do the same same place to do that. And uh, Dana, that gets you what? Ad free early episodes, invite invites to my live happy hours that I do when I'm traveling out and about our Zoom call, access to our closed A lot of things. A lot of things for a little bit of money. It's it's really worth it. And it's a nice gift to give to somebody for the holidays too. So absolutely. There we go. We do have a lot of other news that happened this weekend besides these, uh, you know, this uh, subpoena defiance and document things. There's a bunch of stuff. Oh, and you're going to end this segment with a good one. Yeah, we do have a good one. So let's, let's kick it off. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Top story today comes from Betsy Woodruff Swan. She says a former high ranking Capitol Police official with knowledge of the department's response to January 6th has sent congressional leaders a letter accusing two of its senior leaders of mishandling intelligence and failing to respond properly during the riot. The whistleblower who requested anonymity sent the 16 page letter late last month to the top members of both parties in the House and Senate, both parties. And um, this is from police's acting chief of uniformed operations, Sean Gallagher, and then the assistant chief of police for protective and intelligence operations at the time, Yogananda Pittman. That's who the letter is about. Okay, that's the, the allegations from the whistleblower are against Gallagher and Pittman. The whistleblower accuses him of deliberately choosing not to help officers under attack and alleges Pittman lied to Congress about an intelligence report Capitol Police received before the day's riot, January 5th. After a lengthy career in the department, the whistleblower was a senior official on duty on January 6th. The whistleblower's criticism went beyond Capitol Police leaders to Congress. And without naming specific members of Congress, his letter, his, his letter accuses congressional leaders of having purposefully failed to tell the truth about the department's failures. The whistleblower accused Pittman of lying to Congress about a key intelligence report the department received in late December. That report noted the blog called The Donald.Win was posted, <laughs> had posted a map of the Capitol campus and that the commenters on the site called for protesters to carry guns and confront members of Congress on January 6th. They had that in December, Dana. And uh, Pittman told congressional investigators in April that a cohort of senior officials in the department were also aware of that intelligence before the attack. The whistleblower claimed in his letter, however, that the other officials did not receive the intelligence report and that Pittman lied when she said they did. So that seems to be the conflict here is that why didn't anybody else get it? Pittman's like, I don't know. I gave it to everybody. And this whistleblower is saying that Pittman didn't. My senior law enforcement official said that other people in the department actually did have the intelligence, but that it clearly should have been distributed more widely. The Capitol Police spokesperson disputed the allegation that Pittman lied to Congress and noted that the department has changed its internal and external intelligence sharing practices because of the attack. So maybe before the attack, it wasn't 
required to be shared? I don't I don't know. Yeah, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, this uh, this particular whistleblower, Dana, and I have to say this because Yogananda Pittman is also the person who brought receipts showing phone calls that Sund tried to contact Irving multiple times. And if you remember, recently I talked about Irving in a report and and the problems that he's facing and that he lied to Congress, and we have proof of it now. And so I don't know if this, I don't know whose side this whistleblower is, is on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, so, it's a good question. But it does say that there should, there should I, I think, it would be enough to warrant further investigation. And the report, this intelligence report, wasn't the only key piece of intelligence that didn't reach the right people. The whistleblower says Gallagher and Pittman also had information showing groups that received permits to hold events surrounding the Capitol were all front operations for Stop the Steal. So the whistleblower is saying, you know, all these like, uh, I love America, women for Trump, um, you know, groups that applied for permits that really were fronts for the Stop the Steal movement. Right. They're saying Pittman and Gallagher knew that and didn't share it with anyone. It's a big deal. All this stuff is starting to come out in the investigation and they're doing what they need to do. And I'm sure there's going to be more, lots more dots to connect. This next story, I want you to file under why the fuck does Louis DeJoy still have a job? <laughs> if you could do that That's for me, Angie, that file. would be great. I, I, if I can find room in that file, I will definitely yeah, put it there. It is. Put this one in there. The U.S. Postal Service's controversial slowdown of mail delivery that began October 1st is sparking a pushback from 20 attorneys general. Now, on Thursday, the state officials ranging from California to New York across the country sued the Postal Regulatory Commission, alleging that the federal oversight agency didn't fully vet the broad ranging plan before the USPS moved forward with it. Shocking. Mm. Now, the Postal Regulatory Commission, or the PRC, that's an independent federal agency with oversight over the Postal Service's operations. So the lawsuit claims that PRC only examined a small part of a 10-year plan created by Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, which the complaint alleges will, quote, transform virtually every aspect of the Postal Service. I mean, to, for them to have foresight to put this SOB in this mm. job, knowing that mail-in voting, I just, um, it's unbelievable. The PRC said it has received the lawsuit and will establish a docket for the matter and quote, and take it under advisement. It said its regulations prohibit it from discussing further. The complaint alleges that Postmaster General Joy is moving forward with a 10-year plan despite failing to get a review of its entire scope. The USPS received an advisory opinion from the PRC for only a few portions of the 10-year overhaul. Mm -hmm. That's what this complaint alleges. And a quote from here, to date, the Postal Service has only submitted two requests for an advisory opinion from the PRC which represent only a small portion of the scope. Now, despite the PRC's concerns, the postal agency moved forward still with its slower mail delivery standards, which went into effect October 1st. Other aspects of the plan weren't reviewed by the PRC, nor was the public given an opportunity to comment. I think one of the things people aren't talking enough about this, yeah, it's affecting going to affect mail-in voting. It's going to slow down the postal. Do you know how many small businesses are being destroyed right now yeah. because of the slow in mail? Yeah, and paying $18, $19 to ship a $5 product. And I think it's, I think this is a, a good lawsuit in that, you know, I've looked it over. They're like, look, 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 we're not, you know, whether or not we agree with what's in this bullshit plan or that DeJoy shouldn't have a fucking job, 
The problem here is that we didn't put this out for public comment. We didn't do enough studies like, you know, how in Parks and Rec, if they're going to build a park, they have to do like two years of environmental impact studies and research and stuff. Yeah. And they the PRC is supposed to look at every aspect of things like this. And they and they only looked at a couple of things. It's like it was jammed through. I'm interested to know who's on the PRC. Great question. And why that happened. Um, That's that reporting is not in this. And I my investigatory skills on holiday weekends are a little lacking, <laughs> but, I, but I am asking these questions and I am looking into it and I will let everyone know what I find out. And from the Washington Post, Republican officials from Arizona told Congress, the big Congress, United States Congress, on Thursday that Maricopa County conducted a free and fair and accurate election in November and that Joe Biden won the state and that Republican commission review of 2.1 million ballots by the cybersecurity ninjas, you know, the circus times carnival did not find widespread fraud claimed by former President Trump. Shocking. House Oversight Committee summoned Jack Sellers. I summoned the Jack. Chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, Bill Gates, not that one. This is the vice chairman of the board. And Ken Bennett, former Arizona Secretary of State, to testify after the state Senate hired the cyber ninjas to review, and I put review in quotes, the election. A six-month GOP-driven Review confirmed the accuracy of the results, according to a report released last month, but that has not silenced Trump, who continues to make false claims, or uh, those of other Republicans, including several Arizona lawmakers on the House committee, right? Again, this isn't about the findings. It's about the fact that there was an investigation and that they still need to get this and they left this out and they haven't looked at that. It's just muddying the waters for the grift. The officials testified Thursday to the legitimacy of the results, with Biden defeating Trump by 45,000 votes in the county and winning the state and its 11 electoral votes by more than 10,000 votes. Jamie Raskin, my hero, underscored that Republican election leaders from Arizona have testified that the election in Maricopa County, home to Phoenix, nation's fifth largest city, was the most secure verified election in our history, run by Adrian Fontes, by the way, who we've had in the program twice when he was Maricopa County recorder. And that his, it has been repeatedly confirmed because everyone's swarmed in to review, you know, these election results. So it really does feel like a breakup and like you've moved on and got a new boyfriend and your ex just keeps coming back to the door trying to tell you bad things about your present boyfriend. <laughs> like, come on, you let's get back together. He's a jerk. He did this. He did that. Do you have any proof? No, but I'm going to, you know, I hired an investigator called the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That made me laugh when the congressman said that. Yeah, it was He's like the Ninja Turtles. Turtles. I, think. <laughs> I, think, I don't think it was. Like, <laughs> these Ninja Turtles running around. So good. Eating so pizza good. and counting ballots. Okay, this next one's taking us back to Texas. I wish it was a better story, but we still need to report it. Texas' a six-week abortion ban is at least temporarily back in effect. Because no, nothing I love more than women's rights going back and forth like a tennis match. As of Friday night... After federal appeals court paused a lower court order from earlier this week that had halted enforcement of the law. The order from a three-judge panel, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, granted what's known as an administrative stay. Now, that's not permanent. This isn't a permanent decision. The court will now decide whether to grant Texas's request for a long-term hold that would keep the law, SBA, in effect while the state appeals its loss in district court. The circuit ordered the Justice Department to respond by Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Time. Now, in the meantime, however, the law will go back into effect, unfortunately. That's just two days after the preliminary injunction from the U.S. District Judge Robert Pittman allowed at least some health care providers in Texas to resume performing abortions for pregnant people past the six weeks of pregnancy. 
Now, this legit fight over SB8, it's going to continue as the Fifth Circuit will now decide if Pittman's order can stay. The Justice Department, which brought the constitutional challenge against Texas, could ask the full appeals court to reconsider the three-judge panel's decision to grant what's known as a stay, and it could eventually petition the U.S. Supreme Court to step in, which I would not be shocked if that's what has to happen, which does not look good considering the way the court is stacked to the right. Yeah, I would not go on bonk with the Fifth Circuit. Fuck them. Just go straight to the Supreme Court. Ask for a stay of the stay of the injunction. Yeah. (laughs) If that makes sense. Like a stay of a stay. Please. Yeah. Three lefts make a right here because, you know, initially it was the law which was allowed to go into effect. Then the district court enjoined it, blocked it. Then this court put a stay on the block. And now the DOJ is going to look for a stay on the stay. Yeah. Back and forth. Back and forth. Give me give me something happy to end on, A.G. I know you have it. All right. Yeah, I got something. A stunning move this Friday that people are just eh, shrugging their shoulders at because which is just weird. Yeah, because nothing is going to satisfy some people except, Don, you know, Donald getting tackled and put into pink for handcuffs. That That's like right. nothing, anything less than that. Even like even like steel handcuffs will not be enough. They'll be angry still. But this is huge fucking news because it's the first time this has happened in the history of the United States of America. And, and I'm, I'm just surprised that everyone's just sort of, eh, it's not enough. Joe Biden will not prevent the House committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot from receiving an initial set of Trump administration documents. Uh, he is waiving President Biden, who has the power to decide mm-hmm. on executive privilege, is waiving that power from an institutionalist who's been on Capitol Hill for f- almost 50 fucking years to say, nah. Have at it. Yeah. Is mind blowing. So this is the first time that the the president has denied a a request from a former sitting president to exert executive privilege. And this is according to the White House. And this is despite, like I said, objections from Donald. And uh, so that's a it's a big deal. I wish people would be like would celebrate these wins, you know, like I know I agree for as for as important as they are yes they aren't sexy it's this is not a sexy win right it's not like a perp walk it's not an indictment but to waive that executive privilege as the executive is just like especially for everyone who's like no biden's interested in moving forward he's just going to move forward yeah he's not going to hold anybody accountable and i'm like oh well what about this and they're like this isn't the same as being held accountable be held accountable is arresting him. And I'm like, okay, look, 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 this is a big deal. Even if it's not an indictment, it is 100% indicative of this administration's willingness to not turn a blind eye. And to have more transparency mm-hmm. for this country. That's what this is. Mm-hmm. By saying he's not going to, you know, hold executive privilege on this, it is, I want this to be transparent. Yeah. And for everyone, just so everybody knows, Transparency to the select committee, not the public. Exactly. Not not us, right. but to the, the committee that needs it. And there's another big effing hint that the Department of Justice is investigating. We have had the select committee now hold closed door depositions, and they're not going to release these documents to the public when they get them. They're going to investigate and maybe hold more closed door depositions. And the only reason, oh, and limit the scope of certain things. Politico put out a big article this weekend saying, DOJ I think it was Weisenheimer or something. It blocked questions from the Judiciary Committee about about the insurrection. But the things that they were not, you know, the DOJ narrowed the scope for these witnesses like Rosen and Donahue to be specifically about, you know, the, the letter and the phone call. And uh, they were, you know, Republicans were asking questions about 
other investigations and the just the simple fact that the DOJ narrows that scope and that they're having closed door depositions for January 6th means that successfully the January 6th committee is communicating with the Department of Justice and they are ensuring that they do not step on any criminal investigative toes by having open door depositions and releasing right. documents. The only reason they would be doing this uh, is to first vet the witnesses, obviously, but also if the Department of Justice is criminally investigating the leaders of the insurrection or the attempted overthrow, the Eastman memo, the Clark letter, the, the Rosen call, if they are investigating, which I, I suspect they are or are going to be, then these would be public things. They, the Democrats would want this to be public information. They would want it to right. be front facing and they would want the American public to know about it because the January 6th commission is not a criminal investigation. It is it is a fact finding investigation designed to get the truth out to the public. Yeah. So that's just another hint that the DOJ is or is planning on investigating these things and needs to keep them under wraps so that what, what happened for, uh, during Iran-Contra doesn't happen again. Yeah, well, luckily, Bill Barr's not in the DOJ anymore, so hopefully, <laughs> you know, it's not going to be a bunch of people pardoned for this. Yeah. And um, yes, yeah, they, they found Dan. Yeah. They found Dan. Where was Dan hiding? We've got Dan Scavino, <laughs> I apparently. Dan, I think Dan was hiding in Mar-a-Lago, unless that was a joke tweet. Oh, my God. I can't tell It would not surprise me. I can't either. It could have been The Onion. It could have been NBC News. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. But they found him and uh, served him. So he's now been served with his subpoena. So it's him, Meadows, Kosh Patel, and Steve Bannon. And uh, as I will be discussing with Terry Canefield after this break, Steve Bannon doesn't, even if he wanted to have executive privilege, he can't because he didn't work for the government. Hilarious. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the National Archives privilege and Biden's waiver of that particular request by the former guy to keep those things a secret. And uh, we'll be right back with that interview after this. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison. And today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by my new favorite thing. It's called Scribd. I'm the kind of person who spends hours scrolling through Netflix. I fall asleep before I pick anything. And it's the same with new books and audiobooks, but Scribd saves me time and makes choosing my next book so much easier. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, dissertations, magazines, along with thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read. Scribd is the ultimate reading subscription service, letting you explore all of your interests in any format you choose ebooks, audiobooks, court filings, magazines, and more for just $9.99 a month. You get an entire library for less than the cost of a single book. No complicated credits that could expire, no additional purchases required. And if you're not sure what to read, Scribd combines the latest technology with the best human minds to recommend content you'll love. Want to change things up? You can switch between titles, genres, and formats at any time on your phone, tablet, or computer. And right now, we're offering listeners of this program a free 60-day trial. Go to tryscribd.com dailybeans for your free trial. That's tryscribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, dot com dailybeans to get 60 days of Scribd for free. And today's show is also brought to you by my favorite online puzzle game. It's called Best Fiends. You know, I've been obsessed with this mobile game for a while. Uh, It is the best match-three style game ever made. The rest are basically just the same game over and over with different color schemes. So stop crushing the same old candy. Try to find something fresh and exciting. Best Fiends has a captivating storyline, beautiful visuals, calming music, awesome characters, and there's strategy, right? It's puzzles. It challenges your brain. They have the good guys, the fiends, and the not-so-good guys, the slugs. You start out with little baby fiends, but as you play, they become more powerful and level up, and you can use them strategically every level. 
And uh, you ask Fiends to join the team by helping you solve increasingly challenging puzzles. And with Best Fiends, you get an action-packed adventure with a brain-boosting puzzle game all at once. And with new content added all the time, you're never bored. I'm on level... Ooh, it's high. It's in the thousands. <laughs> but uh, Best Fiends literally has thousands of levels to choose from. So I never run out. And with more added all the time, it's always fresh. There's always a new challenge to look forward to whenever I need a fun break from reality or a little mental boost to keep me sharp. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am honored to be joined again today by author and lawyer and an op-ed contributor to The Washington Post and NBC Think and others. Very important writer and voice. Please welcome Terry Canefield. Terry, hi. Hi. So we had a very enlightening discussion on Twitter over the weekend, because the White House on Friday formally blocked an attempt by Donald to withhold documents from Congress related to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And, you know, media reporting is that this is setting up a legal showdown between the current and former presidents over executive privilege. And uh, I don't know if it's much of a legal showdown, but I was wondering if you could give us your top line thoughts from a from a just security piece that you published. Well, top line would be, if Trump picks this battle, that would be very stupid. <laughs> so, I, and actually stupid is a well-recognized legal term looking at the highest levels here. Um, it would be dumb. And so I, whether he's going to do it, I don't know, but, but it would really not be a good idea for a lot of reasons, which we can, you know, sort of talk about what the process would be, you know, what the law is, what would happen. Actually, the sort of bottom line is he would not just lose, but he would trigger a very, a very bad ruling against him, which would be that the documents that he's trying to conceal contain evidence of wrongdoing. And so right out of the gate, he'd get a ruling, which is what he's trying to prevent. So he's better off letting it go. Does that mean he will? And also, the other thing I'll say is that you know, I can walk through like what's what the process is, what's probably going to happen. But ultimately, nobody really predicts can predict a court. Yeah. And, you know, we've covered extensively, like, for example, the raid on Cohen, the raid on Rudy and how the court appointed what's called a special master in both cases, retired Judge Barbara Jones to go through the tranche of documents and determine what is or isn't covered by attorney-client privilege in, in those cases. That's probably not going to happen in this case. Right. And that's very unlikely because it's a different standard. Mm -hmm. So what, what's, what's being asked is a different question at the threshold. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think, and, and if I'm wrong about this, then, um, you know, then what, I guess I'm wrong about it. From everything that, that the law is indicating, is that it's a very low standard here. And if these documents, and it, it's not like document by document, and because of, the, because of the exception that would be raised. So in that case, they were just looking to see whether the material is, is covered by the privilege, right? So each piece then has to be looked at. Is it covered by the privilege? Okay, which would mean, is it something confidential between the, the lawyer and the, and the client? and not like, let's meet for lunch tomorrow. The, the assumption is all these records are confidential pres presidential records. 
So you don't have to do that. Right. I think the I think the only kind of tie that I was trying to make there is what's considered, at least in a special master case, is what's called the crime fraud exception, which is where you're saying Trump could set him up, set himself up for a bigger loss than to just let it go. Because if if the court or the National Archives determines that the reason that these documents aren't covered by executive privilege is because they were in the furtherance of committing a crime. That is a, a ruling. And that's, I think, what you're what you're getting at. That would be very bad. Because you don't need much. So what, we don't really know the standard. So, OK, so to back up, no court has ever had occasion to say that the crime fraud exception applies to the executive privilege. And that's because no president since Nixon has ever tried to prevent the courts from looking at any material which may implicate the president. And the reason is because they don't want that ruling. So they've never tried to do it. So we don't actually know what the procedure looks like. But what we, we have some language from courts in the past. And the D.C. court is the court that this would go to. And the D.C. court in the past has said that I can look the quotation up for you, but I can do it pretty close off the top of my head, that if there's any reason to believe that the, that the evidence contains any evidence of criminal or wrongdoing. So it's a fairly low standard. And you already had that. So so records are due. You said you work in the archives or you generated records. Records tend to be duplicative, right? So if if, if the president sends an email to somebody else, then it's in several places. If there's an email between the DOJ and the president, then it's in the White House, it's at the DOJ. The, we already have evidence that we know would be in those documents that indicates criminal wrongdoing. Now, the criminal wrongdoing doesn't have to be a big, it doesn't have to be big. It can be small. It can be a Hatch Act violation. It can be something that we know Trump did was try to prevent the electoral votes from the electoral count from happening. Mm -hmm. And so that is illegal. So it doesn't have to be some big thing that he wants to overthrow the government. Very small violations are in there. And we already know that. And so it's not like they have to go through piece by piece because the argument is that what Trump did over time was create, not just incite an insurrection, but he created a sort of a, a environment for disinformation over a period of months that created the groundwork for the insurrection insurrection. So you can't go piece by piece, anything connected to the, and they're not asking for all the records, right? They're asking for all the records related to January 6th. So that's why it's not like a, a special master has to go through. All you have to do is show that there's some reason to believe. And since it's such a low threshold now, the reason this is particularly treacherous for Trump is because Biden is going to go in there and argue against him. And so is the DOJ. And also, it looks to me like Trump can come in as a person, but he has no special standing as a former president. So it would be like you going up against the DOJ and the White House. I've tried it. I failed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? Um, (laughs) You may be brave. So it's such a low standard. And it's, it's not like did this phone call over there about, so, so basically what the special master did in the Cohen case, the archivist has already done, mm-hmm. which is pick out what is responsive to the request, mm-hmm. which is probably all privilege. So then the question is, is there any evidence in there of wrongdoing? And so I think the, the way it would happen procedurally is 
um, the best guess we can make is that the procedural would the procedure would be the same as with attorney-client privilege, which comes up on a motion. So what would happen is Trump would file an appeal, and what would he appeal? He would appeal, he would say the materials are number one, privileged, and number two, I control the privilege. Okay, so <laughs> talk about ethical battles in both in both cases, mm. right? That's what he would do. He would file that. And then the Biden administration or some somebody is going to come in with a motion and say, we're, we need this whole thing dismissed because there is no privilege <laughs> and there is no privilege. So a court doesn't come to an abstract ruling if there's no well, right. Because, Terry, they can cite Nixon and then they can also cite what the executive order written by President Obama that puts the determination of executive privilege only on sitting presidents. And that's, I think, a big deal. But I, I have a I have a, a, an interesting legal question for you, because you and I sort of talked a little bit about this over the weekend. Like, why didn't Trump, before he left office, put out another executive order saying that former presidents have executive privilege? And does that evidence that he didn't indicate some sort of intent that he felt that he had the election wrapped up when you look at the Eastman memo and when you look at the Jeffrey Clark letters to the same seven states to overthrow the electors and the meeting with Pence to, you know, to go over the six point plan for the coup written by attorney Eastman, who, by the way, should be disbarred. Is there any way to add that to the totality of the evidence that he was certain that he was going to quote unquote, win this election by simply not giving himself the privilege uh, and revoking that Obama executive order before before he left office. It just seems like a dumb move if you're going to try to. I think there's another thing you could do. I think that would probably be too tenuous and you've got better evidence than that, that he's trying to overthrow the election. But that's but actually, by the way, um, what I didn't send you after I sent you the executive order is Congress actually codified that. So Congress actually added that. But but. It, the same argument holds. So I think there's a different, I think it's a different legal argument that goes like this because it's too far away to say, we don't know, maybe he just didn't think about it. You know, like if, who knows? There's a lot to think about. And he, you know, whatever, he's busy watching cable news, trying to figure out his next, um, you know, his next move. If had, had Eastman put that made as a seven point plan and, you know, step seven was to... It would have probably had to have been done way before then. Mm-hmm. It would have had it because um, the law was put in place in 2014. So he had four years to do it. So it wouldn't have been so easy for him to do it, but it would have been fairly easy. So here's, there's a thing called a stopple where you're prevented from doing something because you participated or you made a promise or whatever. Um, so if Trump, now Trump's argument that he should have the privilege and not Biden or equally with Biden or higher than Biden, that, that, that basically the former president should have the same rights or more rights than the incumbent president. That's what he's going to argue. So basically the only way you can argue that right now in court is to say that the that the law on the books is unconstitutional because the the courts apply the law and the law says that the, the privilege is held by the current president. And you'd also have to show that the Supreme Court, you'd have to overturn a previous Supreme Court decision to release documents from a former president in the Nixon era, because I, well, so I, I think Nixon tried to do that, too. Actually, so, yeah, but these laws were put in place since then, so you can't go back that far. I gotcha. Look at, okay, so walk it step by step here. 
So while Trump was president, he knew that the law gave the privilege to this sitting president, not the former president. He knew that. And he never tried to change it. So his argument right now, so courts apply the law unless the law is unconstitutional. Okay, so Trump can't go in there and say, don't apply the law as it is, unless he also argues that the law is unconstitutional. He'd have to raise a constitutional argument for the fact that the law cutting him out of the process is unconstitutional. So can you say that a law that you approved of while you were president is unconstitutional? I mean, it seems like you're sort of a stop from doing that. So uh, that's my concern, right, is that the Supreme Court would rule that this law that was codified based on the Obama memo or in conjunction with the Obama executive order saying that the former president can't exert executive privilege. Okay, that's my concern. Right. You're not going to get to that question unless you first unless you first determine that the material is privileged. Ah, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay, this is, this is, okay. So I'm just going to, I hope you're like wide awake next time. It just like messes with your brain, right? Because you don't, you're not going to question whether Trump holds the privilege unless there is privilege material. So it's just like uh, that sort of order of operations where the court must first determine standing and jurisdiction before it can look at the merits. The court would have to determine that these are actually privileged documents before it determined that the law preventing them from being released was unconstitutional. Right. But the more direct reason is that a court will only consider a controversy, an act of controversy. But you're right. You're right. You've got you've got it right. Another way to think of it, I should say, is that there has to be a controversy. You can't go in and say, so if there were privileged documents, I should have jurisdiction over them. Right. Or I should have authority over them. There has to actually be privileged documents in order for him to assert the. there has to be privileged documents for him to assert it. Because so, you need to show harm and then have a remedy? Yeah, is that say, Okay, so so Trump has to say, so he says, actually, so, right. So Trump has to say that the documents are privileged and I control the privilege ah. because he doesn't control a privilege if they're not privileged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right, so, so, uh, so, yeah, so let's say there's nothing happening right now and there's no everybody asking for any documents. Trump can't go to court and say this law is wrong. Take it off. Mm-hmm. And he also can't go to court and say, release all the green documents, but all they want are yellow documents. It, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't stand right. to reason. Well, he has to. He has. So the only way for him to be able to argue that he controls the privilege is if there is a privilege. So the threshold question. Oh, of whether there was a crime or oh, yeah, whether they're, they're privileged. Mm-hmm. OK, so. I'm going to turn the page here because, yeah, it's because I, I wrote it out so I wouldn't get confused because it's confusing. So Trump files a lawsuit naming he would file a lawsuit and he would name the archivist in the lawsuit. And his lawsuit would be attempting to prevent the archivist from releasing these documents to Congress. OK, on the grounds that, number one, they're privileged and number two, he holds the privilege. Mm-hmm. And you have to answer one before you can answer the next. Right, because if they're, if they're not privileged then the issue doesn't come up who holds the privilege. It's moot, right? It just be- yeah, it doesn't even, it's like moot, it's like never even there because it's like, if, it's like if there's no traffic accident, you don't have to decide who's at fault. Right, so if I'm in the DOJ, I file a motion to dismiss because the, the situation is moot because right. these are not executive privilege. Right. We don't so even have would, to answer right. the question about whether or not he holds the privilege. Right. I agree. So I think what, I think what would happen, and again, 
since it's never happened, I'm making the best guess I can based on the fact that what I'm looking at for how it would work is how it does already work, how the crime fraud exception works for for attorney client. So in attorney and deliberative client, process and uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> and well, what happens is you, it's on a motion. Mm-hmm. So a motion is it happens before a trial and before the big deal. Right. So this is preliminary matters. So the first thing that happens, you file a, you file a lawsuit and then there's a bunch of motions. Mo- dismiss it because of this and whatever. So the first thing that would happen is somebody and the court on its own could do that. The court in D.C. could say, wait, are these really privileged? Do we even have a controversy? And so Biden or somebody else or the court on its own says, we're going to file a motion saying that the crime fraud exception exists. So there's no privilege here. So the threshold question would be, is there reason to believe that there is evidence? And you don't have to find, it's not a finding of guilt. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is say there's some reason to believe that there's evidence of wrongdoing. I I might even file a bill of particulars, you know, any other pretrial motions, you know, not considered, you know, being like, hey, uh, you're going to need to explain to us why these aren't privileged (laughs) and see what he has to say. But uh, that that would just probably be kind of a waste of time. Yeah. So the question of whether he holds the privilege, no, I don't think he does. Mm, no, no, I, right. I, I don't think he does either. And I, I want to ask you about the process, too, because we've got this 30 day, 60 day, 90 day. We have all these questions that we talked about this weekend, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? I will. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this segment of The Beans is brought to you by Chili Sleep. Uh, it's proven that lowering our core body temperature at night is the best method for achieving that deep sleep and not just achieving it, but maintaining it. After a long day of work, temperature controlled sleep helps restore testosterone levels, repairs muscles and improves cognitive function. So you wake up feeling sharp and alert. Chili Sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. Chili Sleeps makes the Uller and Cube sleep systems. These are hydro powered systems, temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep fast and stay asleep, and they give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. It's incredible. Chili Sleep can help make it happen. I sleep super hot, as you know, so Chili Sleep has been amazing for me in my menopause and night sweats. I've been sleeping much better already, so head over to chilisleep.com slash beans to learn more and check out our special offer available exclusively for Daily Beans listeners who I know are sitting there saying, there's no way you're too young for menopause. But this is for a limited time only for Daily Beans listeners. It's chilisleep, C-H-I-L-I sleep.com slash beans to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. And today's show is also brought to you by Hunter Douglas, who doesn't like to live well, right? It's to be perfectly at ease and be in comfort and in style. And Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics and control systems so advanced they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. It's incredible. Perhaps the best way that shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across the room. Or you can be able to enjoy the view outside of a window while protecting your privacy inside. Maybe it's the superior insulation that they provide, keeping you warmer in winter, cooler in the summer, lowering utility bills, easing the burden on the electrical grid? Or is it simply that, you know, Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything looks and feels just right? And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. Check out all of the custom windows, blinds, shades, shutters, and drapery on their website. 
I think you'll love to explore how Hunter Douglas window treatments transform the light in your home, elevating everyday living and defining the mood of your unique and beautiful space. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash Daily Beans today to take advantage of the Season of Style Rebate Savings Event. That's HunterDouglas.com slash Daily Beans for limited time savings. Offer expires December 6, 2021. So act now. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with Terry Canefield about executive privilege and the January 6th committee and documents from the National Archives. And, and Terry, there seems to be a bit of a back and forth on social media because of some Politico reporting and some MSNBC reporting saying that there is a 30-day window after the request for these documents, which I believe went out on September 8th from the January 6th committee, must wait. But I don't necessarily think, based on the language in the law or in the executive order, that they must wait for an appeal from a former president, particularly since Biden is not, he's waving, you know, he's waving his executive privilege over this matter. And that seems to me that as soon as that document request is made, that the National Archives, I I feel like no one has to wait to see if Trump wants to object. They can just start rolling these documents out. But what what did you come up with? Well, I agree with that. But, but... Okay, a couple of things. The first is, okay, actually, one thing to make sure everybody understands is that we're only talking about a small fraction of all of the documents that the Congress is requesting. They're requesting documents from DOJ, from lots of other agencies. We're talking only about the presidential documents. So we're talking about a, a, a substantial part, but a part. And th- that's the only place where Trump can stop things. So the committee is getting lots and lots, probably millions of documents coming at them right now. So it isn't, if they did wait, it doesn't really slow them down because like I said, a lot of it's duplicative. They're getting records from every place. Plus it also takes time to go through and omit the duplications and get the documents ready. Right. It's so it's not like there's, so let's say they wait for 30 days or whatever. It's not like they're sitting around waiting. <laughs> so it's not, it's not like there's like this urgency that, oh my God, we better do it now because there's other things to do. So I I looked at it just like you did, and I could see an argument for for the time starting after the records are selected. Because after the records are selected, then presumably what people do is they look at each record, you know, they decide record by record. But since Trump is just a person and not the president, it's really not clear exactly when that when that time started. It's not really clear where there, there even is a window. But I'll tell you what I would do if I was advising the committee. I would say, don't take a chance because who cares? Don't mess it up. So since it doesn't matter, you're not waiting, give the benefit of the doubt. Because if for some reason someone comes along and makes a really clever argument that you shouldn't have done it, you could you could compromise your investigation and you could compromise the committee. Uh, do due diligence, cross your T's, dot your I's. Yeah, don't, 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 because it doesn't matter. Now, if they had nothing... Okay, so things went, remember, things went very, very fast with those court filings with the election fraud, mm-hmm. quotations around fraud. They went very fast because they knew that they had to get this resolved before January. They didn't, n- none of those courts wanted Trump to get away with tying things up in court so that the election couldn't be certified. Mm-hmm. So they had a deadline. The committee has two deadlines that I've heard. They want to get the bulk of this work done by early spring. And of course, they're looking at 
they want to have it done by November, everything done by November. So there's nothing in what the committee needs to do that says we better like take a chance and jump the gun and get everything right now. So I would, I would advise not to. And also I have a feeling, but I, I don't know. I have a feeling that because some places are reporting that Liz Cheney said there's 30 days, mm-hmm. whether or not Liz, these parties are talking, Trump's lawyers are talking and whether or not there's some agreement or some concession or some, you know, we're so used to kind of like the fight, fight, fight thing, you know, be mean, be harsh, you know, uh, like play hardball. The reality is that these things, you know, the lawyers get together and they're not like duking it out. Mm-hmm. You know, they're saying, okay, fine, pick, pick three weeks. What do you need? Don't rush it. I mean, don't, you know, don't tell the archivist, do it now, even though, like, why make that kind of trouble when you're not facing a deadline like three weeks from now? the election needs to be certified so we can't hold this up, mm-hmm. you know, really looking at, at the spring. And so I don't see where, so in some ways I sort of came up with, well, it's hard to tell exactly, but it doesn't matter. I would say, and this, this is, I think where, where social media loses its perspective on things. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my gosh, the Democrats are just a bunch of weaklings. Let them have 30 days. What are you like rolling over? It's like, no, that. Why you? Why are you? Why would you give the other side that argument to make when you can take it away by just waiting? Right, but also it doesn't hurt you. I I'm sure they're not giving anything up by waiting. I'm sure they're not with idle time. But also, for all we know, really, what happened is Trump said, "I really need some time to think about this," and so I really want you know give me th- give me thirty days. I really want some time, and they'll say yes. Because they want to cooperate. They're trying to get cooperation going, right? So you don't deny a request. I mean, and again, we don't really know what's going on back there. And I, like you, I didn't find any place that said there's a window for appeals. I I see places where you can read that in. You can, you can see how they, someone could come up with it, but where does it start? But one of the things that the committee said was some of these witnesses are in good, looks like what they're considering sort of good faith. They didn't use that word, but they're communicating with the committee. So the first thing they everybody wants to do is have this all happen through cooperation. Right. It, it reminds me of the McGahn testimony that eventually ended up happening. You know, there were some concessions made on, on both sides just to get it done. I, I don't know if any criminal referrals were made. I'm not sure. I mean, I think that was kind of just a legal sort of uh, mechanism to say, oh, look, congressional subpoenas mean something. Uh, even if it's two years later. But, you know, I think the only clock that I'm concerned uh, about running out is the, you know, the congressional clock, because if Republicans take over in 2022 in the midterms, then and, and, and Congress expires and they haven't gotten the subpoenas worked through the courts uh, yet. That that's my only concern. But the committee doesn't seem to have that concern. They waited a a long time to even subpoena recalcitrant witnesses. And, uh, you know, I'm and I'm assuming that they have all the documents or they're going to get all the documents they need. And the witness testimony is just sort of icing on the cake. And don't forget. okay, don't forget that all of the other agencies, other agencies also have relevant documents. And so. That's controlled by the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how we got the Eastman memo and the Jeffrey Clark letters, at, you know, from from Department right, so of Justice. So, sometimes. OK, so 
My feeling about testimony is that it isn't what everybody has it cracked up to be, because especially when you're dealing with known liars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm not sure that it's not the end all be all of what we I need to find out. Shocker for you. Are you ready for a shocker? I, I did my appellate. My law practice was appeals. So I, I did appeals. I, I've read tens of thousands of pages of, of records. Shocker. <laughs> Witness, witnesses lie. Mm -hmm. I just told you. Okay. Witnesses do lie. Um, they lie for all kinds of reasons. Um, I've, I had a client, you know, they lie to protect the fact that they're having a, an affair. They lie. So, so witness testimony, unless you get a confession, witness testimony, it's good, but that's, it's not as conclusive as people seem to think it is. And, um, and people lying under oath is not, I mean, I shouldn't say like, I mean, it does happen. It shouldn't happen. And when it's caught it's, but it's, it's not like every person who lies under oath in a court is hauled off to jail either. That just doesn't happen. Um, they try to figure out who's lying. And when two people have different stories, obviously someone's lying and the court does its best to come up with the truth. Um, but yeah, and you're not going to get a 1001 charge, A or B, without documentary proof and corroborating testimony. Like you have like it's a it's a it's I think should be a high bar, unlike the, the Sussman indictment. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there are there are things and elements that have to be in place to charge those 1001 right. crimes. So presumably, I mean, look, look what just came out in the Senate Judiciary Memo. Um, they have a lot of evidence. People are cooperating. Um, there are plenty of people who were in the Trump administration who is privy to what was happening, um, who are willing to talk. Yeah. And a lot of times, Terry, we don't even go after testimony for targets like Clark or Eastman. We, we get the surrounding supporting testimony of people who are willing to talk like Rosen and Donahue. Uh, and and some of the other folks who were going to resign en masse, you know, from the Department of Justice based on what was going on with Jeffrey Clark. And, you and know, we don't. Also, right. And they have a Fifth Amendment. Right. I mean, the, the thing is, like, you know, testimony can be right. They, I mean, you, they, people have a Fifth Amendment. Right. But also now, if if I were in a position where all kinds of people went in and said I did something bad and there's documentary evidence that looks like I said I you know did something wrong, they'll invite me in to talk. So one thing to keep in mind, too, with an investigation like this, it isn't a criminal investigation. No. And so what that means is that your silence can be taken as you're not given in a criminal case. If you remain silent, nobody can draw any conclusions from that. Right. But court of public opinion. Huh. Also, but also a congressional anything as civil case. Mm -hmm. in a civil case. So if you're if I if you're sued for something and there's no criminal liability and you say i'm not talking then the jury can draw an inference of guilt from that whereas in a criminal matter they can't draw an inference for guilt for guilt right you see the difference yeah right so right so if if you've got let's say bannon and you've got all these people and all this evidence pointing to the fact that bannon is guilty and you invite bannon in to talk and he says, I'm not going to talk. Mm -hmm. It's not illegal to draw an inference of guilt from that. Mm -hmm. is what I, so the, so there are, you can raise a Fifth Amendment sort of defense in a civil case or in a congressional case, but only if you have criminal liability somewhere else. Right, right. And, you know, speaking of one last question for you, the difference between congressional proceedings and criminal investigations. There are three elements to an obstruction of justice charge. 
First, an obstructive act. Second, I think, is nexus to a judicial proceeding. And third is intent. First question, is this, the one six select committee a judicial proceeding? Yes, it is. OK, so then we've got one and two. Yeah. Then I think you make a really strong constitutional argument for it. Yeah. So we've got so Trump talking to these four witnesses and saying defy the subpoenas. A lot of people are wondering if that can be charged as obstruction of justice. The third piece, though, intent is the one I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. I've got nexus to judicial proceeding. I've got an obstructive act. But could this be considered Trump telling these four people to defy these subpoenas an act of obstruction of justice? Does it meet all three elements? Does it meet intent? Could it be considered obstruction of Congress? Could it be witness tampering? Yes, it could. And as far as intent, intent is is the trickiest to prove, as you can imagine, unless you circumstantial evidence is allowed to prove intent. And if it wasn't allowed to prove intent, then the only way you'd ever get a conviction on anything is if somebody confessed. Because if you think about it, what's when someone, if I, if my foot is out and someone trips on it, did I intend to trip that person or not? The only way you really know 100% direct evidence would be, I say, yes, I did. That would sort of be direct evidence. But even then, people don't always tell the truth, right? So direct evidence is, I saw you shoot that person, right? Or it was caught on camera. Circumstantial evidence is, we came into the room, the gun was on the floor, the person was dead, and you were standing there. There's no direct evidence that you shot the gun. But there's circumstantial evidence. Yeah, I, I always actually joke around that a smoking gun is technically circumstantial evidence. <laughs> technically circumstantial. So, so the point here is, how do you prove intent? Well, it's not as hard as you think it is, because you don't actually have to read the person's mind or get a confession, because otherwise you'd never get it. And we have beautiful, beautiful examples in volume two of the Mueller report with the obstruction, the obstructive acts. You know, you know Congress would... Uh, make a, a referral. That's how they would do it. And at the end of the, um, if you looked at the Senate Judiciary Report that came out, what they said is that they're, is that they they're not doing any criminal referrals yet, something like that until they're in, it's complete. They're holding off judgment on criminal referrals until the whole investigation is complete. So they did talk about possible criminal. And so if they say Trump obstructed justice, or if they say Trump like incited a riot, all of these things, what they're going to do is they're going to put the evidence together and they're going to say, we have evidence that shows all of these things, but Congress doesn't make the charge, right? Then they hand it over to the DOJ, but you don't want a criminal referral from Congress. No. And I think that uh, if, if in fact the Department of Justice is currently not commenting on any, any pending investigations as far as trying to overthrow the election goes. But I, I had posited that, that if I were Merrick Garland, I would be waiting for either criminal referrals from the office inspector general or criminal referrals from Congress to insulate myself from seeming like political in this matter and doing that thing that we talked about earlier, due diligence, give them the 30 days so they, they don't have that argument to make. Uh, but, you know, also... It, you know, the Department of Justice is not supposed to be telling us about open and ongoing investigations. That's, that's the key thing. Now, people, one of the interesting things that I talk about social media, because that's where we know each other, right, um, from social media. One of the interesting things about social media is that the same people who are saying Trump 
violated laws and violated rules and didn't and violated norms are the same people then sort of wanting the the attorney general to violate rules because he is he is not supposed to talk about any impending investigations and not only that if they do they risk jeopardizing yeah they 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 and so people are say i had someone on twitter say but he needs to reassure us it's like no he doesn't and he did come out recently and make a statement when asked if he was investigating trump for all this he said i'm not going to comment on pending investigations right so, but but that's not enough. For, you can't draw anything from that. So we don't know what he's waiting for. We don't we really have no idea. And that's that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be that way, because if he made a comment, then you have the you could poison the whole investigation. It makes the prosecutor's job really, really difficult. And it also makes it hard to to hold on, hold a conviction on appeal, which is part of the federal criminal rules um, that you you know, in order to indict anybody. But, you know, I, I saw the same thing happen when, you know, Merrick Garland said when criticized for the light sentences and light fines for the boots on the ground insurrectionists, he said, you know, because Merrick Garland isn't doesn't have his hands in all of those cases. He's, he's letting his line prosecutors take care of that. And Merrick Garland said, I support my prosecutors and what they're doing. And everyone on Twitter was like, WTF, how can you support these uh, shitty things. And I'm like, oh, my God, we have an attorney general that supports their line prosecutors. And and I'm not saying there weren't meetings like maybe he met with everybody and said, hey, what's up with the small fines? We don't know any of that behind the scenes stuff. But to see an attorney general defend the line prosecutors and defend the institution is a far cry from what we had under Bill Barr. And I was personally excited to see that part. But the media didn't point that out. Thank you so much for this. Everybody look for Terry Canfield's piece in Just Security. And of course, you you have writing all over and um, you're a stellar follow on Twitter to get straightforward information unfettered. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's Allison. I know some of you are out there sleeping on old sagging mattresses uh, that were built for someone else or for no one at all. <laughs> like those Trump branded mattresses, two of our two of our listeners had that we sent them a Helix mattress to and now they're sleeping wonderfully and comfortably. I was sleeping badly for a long time before I took the online Helix sleep quiz and realized it was because of my mattress, right? I thought it was stress and anxiety in the former guy, which was part of it. But really, my mattress wasn't tailored to me. So to get the best sleep of your life, go to helixsleep.com slash daily beans and Helix will match your sleep preferences and body type with the perfect mattress for you. They have soft, medium and firm mattresses. They have mattresses that regulate body temperature. If you sleep hot, they have ones great. They have mattresses that are great for spinal alignment to prevent morning pains and even a Helix Plus mattress for our beautiful plus size sleepers. My quiz matched me with the Helix Midnight because I like a medium firm mattress and I sleep on my side. So it's perfect for me. And now I wake up feeling rested, refreshed and energized for the day. Helix has over 12,000 five star reviews and was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple chiropractors, leading chiropractors, leading doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps risk-free. They even have financing options available and flexible payment plans. So you have to check it out. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for Daily Beans listeners for the Leguminati at helixsleep.com slash Daily Beans. So if you're on a Trump-branded mattress or you're sleeping on my pillow guy pillows, head to helixsleep.com, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com. They're offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for you. And today's show is also brought to you by Upstart. As many of us lived off credit cards after becoming unemployed during the pandemic, 
And those interest rates will get you because you make the minimum payment, but the balance never goes down because you're mostly paying interest because the interest is so high because they only think of you as a number. And that is where Upstart is different. They can help you get out of that never-ending cycle of debt and you can make the final payment. It's easy to pay off your debt with an online personal loan with Upstart. Over a million people have used Upstart to consolidate high-interest debt and pay off credit cards or just fund personal expenses with one fixed monthly payment. Upstart looks beyond your credit history. They don't look at you as just a number. And they, they look at your employment history, uh, your income, and your current employment, and your entire credit history. So they can give you a smarter rate with their trusted partners. And you can check your rate right now without impacting your credit. It's a soft pull. And it's free to do in minutes online for loans between one to $50,000. And you can even receive your funds as fast as one business day after your loan is accepted. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments without impacting your credit score. Go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. What have you got to lose? Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, It's the best. It's Monday. Good news, Dana. Do to do to do. Love it. La da dee. If you have any good news you want to send us or any of the other games we're playing, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Also at dailybeanspod.com, you can scroll to the bottom and and donate a one year premium subscription to somebody who can't swing it right now. It's just 36 bucks for the whole year. And you can also that's where you would sign up if you want to have one of those premium subscriptions donated to you. You get these episodes ad-free and early. You get to see me at meet and greets, the Zoom calls, the the bonus content, everything. All kinds of stuff. All right, let's kick this off with Robin, pronouns she and her. This is not any of your usual categories. Oh. I am in the middle of listening to Greg Oliar's Prevail podcast, which I love, and I'm learning so much about Beans Queen AG. You have a story to tell and have led such an interesting life. Then I got to where you talked about what they put you through after your sexual assault. I was at work and I had to go into the bathroom and ugly cry. Mm-hmm. I too am a survivor and know the feelings and emotions that come with that and how life changing it is. But to hear how the Navy treated you, it's just so low. So I wanted to come and send you the biggest hug I could and to also tell you how inspiring you are that you came back from that and did so much with your life. Insert heart emoji here. Thank you for giving us the news, the laughs, and the love every day for my pet pod tax. I hope my sleeping sweetie from the weekend will give you a smile. Oh, that's what the kitty in my arms look like. Yes. Oh, what a sweet baby. And there's another one in the background laying on the marble floor. I can see it. Actually, that's probably... I'm going to bet, Robin, and you can send me a correction, but that looks like travertine to me. Uh, (laughs) If you would, please do not introduce a new game of... (laughs) Guess this tile <laughs> from the pictures. Guess guess these home remodeling this and decoration. Looks like Bravertine. Okay. Uh, anyway, Robin, thank you, thank you so much, and and uh, thanks for sharing that you're also a survivor. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, my uh, I hug you back. Absolutely. And Ag, thank you for kicking us off with that. This is from Amber. Pronoun she and her. I'm writing today with good news story that ends with adorable kitty pics. Ooh. A couple of days ago, I was out driving when I passed a neighbor girl on her bike, stopped in the middle of the street near a busy country intersection. She looked distressed, so I pulled over to see if I could help. As I walked over, the cutest kitten I've ever seen scampered right up to me. Without hesitation, I scooped it up, was relieved to see signs of good health. 
Now, my neighbor told me the kitten had run out of the cornfield and into the busy road, and she didn't know what to do. I, being an adult, said I'd figure it out. My deepest desire was to take the kitty home and make it all mine. But my husband is allergic and already enduring his maximum amount of pet dander was living with our pup, Maverick. So I got back in my car with the kitty snuggled on my lap and I formulated a plan. To keep the kitty and move out of your husband's house, right? Well, I saw a picture of this kitty. So I'm wondering if it's what I'm about to see. We're going to find out. I sent an adorable picture of the kitty to one of my besties and the photo worked. She asked to bring her kids over to visit and bring some cat food. Her family fell in love and they agreed to foster kitty while I put pics up online to see if it was someone's missing pet. Kitty got a flea bath that night and enough snuggles to make up for lost time. The next morning, the vet determined it was eight to 10 weeks old female in excellent health, all things considered. Now, after a full day of no online responses, Her forever cute, spelled F-U-R-E-V-E-R, her forever family named her Maisie. And I wonder if that's from... uh, Being in the corn. Oh, I thought it was going to be in the corn maze. Might be. Yep, that's actually your... There you go. Maisie, and neither they nor the kitten can get enough snuggles. A particular joy, considering their other cat prefers hiding under the bed all day. I knew your listeners would love the story and love seeing this beautiful, possibly Siamese fur baby. As a pet tax, I've attached some of Maisie and one of my pup, Maverick. Thanks for all you do and the daily joy you bring us listeners. Now, when I originally <gasps> saw the picture of this cat, I thought it might be one of those hyperallergenic breeds because they look like this. But obviously, I think they would have figured that out and kept the cat if that was the case. That looks to me like a little seal point, seal point Siamese ragdoll with a I mean, it ring is so tail. cute. What the frick? And look at this pup. Look at Maverick. Maverick. Oh, Maverick looks like a painting that's got of a, a dog. That's got a chow in there. There, We don't beautiful. have guesses, but what a beautiful no. dog with the tail. Gorgeous. Aww. Gorgeous. Thank you for rescuing the kitty and thank you for finding a forever home. And I was just kidding about leaving your husband. I was just saying what I would do. That's, you know, I would, I would, I would take the kitty. <laughs> <laughs> I would post pictures of my husband to adopt him out. But that, that's just, I'm allergic to, to husband dander. All right. Next up, Susan, pronoun she and her. The ear piercing stories certainly brought up a powerful memory. My older sister desperately wanted pierced ears. Since my dad was a veterinarian, he insisted that he would do it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. This was not surprising since we were used to being treated for minor illnesses by him. But let me just say, ear piercing was not his calling. I witnessed him putting a potato behind her ear and then putting a needle through. The piercing was not even (gasps) in the same position on both ears. Yikes. Being an impressionable 10-year-old, I didn't get my ears pierced till I was in my 40s. Nice. (laughs) No way was I going to go through that experience. Oh, my God, Susan. That's really funny. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Susan. So funny. All right. This next one is uh, anonymous. Pronouncing her, Alice and Dana and your wonderful crew. You give me so much every morning. I laugh, cringe sometimes. And so appreciate love for our country. A few things. One, I crack up every time and there's a word missing. So I'm going to assume it's Dana. I crack up every time Dana does her gag noise. (laughs) (laughs) Friday's episode had good news with the Pibble. I first heard that when Sir Patrick Stewart was fostering an adorable Pibble. The videos YouTube of him are with her. Oh, him with her are so heartwarming. I think Pibble is a better name for this much maligned breed. Got it. Yeah. Number three, I've been sadly lacking in my pet tax. Here is our rescue, Jace. What an interesting name. J-A-C-E, Jace. Lab mix, 
was on the papers. The rest is a mystery. Also included is our dear last great Dane, Coach K. Hubs is a Duke basketball fan. Nice. <laughs> Love you all. Look at this dog just drinking, <laughs> standing from the faucet in the bathroom. That's Massive, big ass dog. dog. Oh my God. What a sweetheart. Oh, sweetheart indeed. I love the little white patch of fur on the chesties where you give chesty scratches. So sweet. All right, AG, close us out. All right. From anonymous pronoun she and her. I can't tell you how thrilled I am to have found you. I've recently returned to Twitter after several years, determined to try it again. I'd say I Twitter better this go round. <laughs> Muller, she wrote, was suggested to me, and I love that handle. So I followed, which is how I learned of the podcast. Shortly after, I took a job with a commute. I have friends who regularly listen to podcasts, and I enjoyed NPR's regular, so I decided to venture into that. So glad I did. The Beans Crew is fabulous. It was funny to hear you talk about the similarities with Maddo. I always have equated the show with hers since I started listening a few months ago. I believe it's the confidence and thought you put forth. Oh, thank you. 100% fan. Nice. I have a shit, a things kids say. Okay. I don't know if she, maybe she's not into the swears. Oh, no, she is. Keep oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then I have a shit kids say. My granddaughter is learning to speak. Her other grandparents are fairly religious, while her parents are decidedly not. I'm somewhere in the middle, so I try to guide her to be considerate across the spectrum of people who love her, particularly as she's beginning to talk. Her dad was trying to teach her to say fun. Uh-oh. And she was trying so hard to say it. Can you say fun? Fuck. Can you say fun? Fuck. I just had to go with it, <laughs> no matter who might be upset, because that was roll on the ground hilarious. That's awesome. I decided to save niceties for another few months. <laughs> Here's my find the kitty pet tax. Oh, oh cool. He's one of the uh, menagerie currently living with me. His name is Bing Bong. <laughs> a hilarious Christmas gift a few years ago. Just a tiny scrap who needed rescuing. We love him. I see him. Oh, I see feets. I see feets. Yep. There he is. The kitty feeds. Kitten Pete. Oh, there he is. Oh. Oh. What a sweetie. It is also a look of like, what'd you need? I was just yeah. resting. I'm just <laughs> hiding. Do you need something? Yeah. I'm on my break. That's, that's right. That's, I know you were painting, but uh, this is not my shift. That's what that looks like. I'm on my break right now. Could you please? Hilarious. I know you're stuck going the house, but <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for these submissions, everyone. Seriously, thank you so much. And if you have anything you want to send in, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And thanks so much. We've already got so many patrons helping patrons. I really appreciate it. It's just a nice thing to do for people over the holidays. Indeed. Yeah. Dana, do you have any last thoughts? Do you have any I last do. words? They got last words. We're recording this on National Coming Out Day. And I just want to say to all of you that have come out of the closet, I applaud you. We are here, family, representation, visibility. It's also very important. And if you are part of the community and you have not quite found your space to come out, it is okay. We will protect the door for you until you are ready. So just know you've got support. Even if you're not ready to be out and proud, we are here to support you when you are. That is right. We've got the watch. We do indeed. As they would say. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone. And please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. And take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants 
And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.